I'm Tia. And this is the journey to transformation. The Below Deck edition. Yay! How cool. I just love that intro. I mean, the Below Deck music is just, it's so cool. It's very good. Yeah. And once you've watched it, it's just embedded in your mind. I love it. Anyway, so as you can tell, we are talking about Below Deck today. We are. We are. Why? Because we both love Below Deck (laughs) and we were able to make some logical associations between Below Deck and leadership style, however tenuous that might be. Shut up. (laughs) <laughs> we don't want to hear it it's our show um yeah and as a podcast that's talking about what's filling the tea on the charity sector or yep. non-profits it feels like quite a good you know connection right yeah look at leadership elsewhere see what we can learn from i don't know below deck yes and it gave us a good opportunity to watch a bunch of below deck very true very true under the guy's research in our spare time yeah that's spare time nice yeah <laughs> podcast work isn't easy you know tell the people what below deck is for so Below Deck is, I guess, kind of like a reality TV show, but in yachts. So you follow a group of people who look after guests on really, really fancy yachts. Mm. So you follow a chef, a chief stew, um, people sort of working for her and her team or their team. And then you follow people who are looking after the deck, the captain. So all these different roles that are looking after a yacht. And you follow sort of their journey looking after guests over, I think it's usually like a six week period over a season. And it's really good. It's really addictive. You are too young to remember perhaps a show called The Real World. I have no recollection. For those of you who are 38 years old and up, shout out to The Real World. You know what I'm talking about. What is that about? It's a reality television show that follows okay. roommates. Oh, okay, cool. So kind they live together. And sometimes in the later seasons, they also worked together. Yeah. So imagine the real world, but on a super yacht. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's really fun just following the different kind of interactions and also between the guests. You know, these are people who are paying a lot of money to charter a boat a very fancy boat for two or three days. So you get to see lots of different personalities and how they sort of mash up on a boat. Question. What type of charter guest would you be? What's your vibe? I think I'd be pretty easygoing. The only demands that that I'd have are around food. I mean, most people who charter a yacht you know, if you watch Below Deck, food is the biggest thing, right? Like what they don't want, what they do want and and how they want the chef to prepare it. So I would have to have like a cheese board just nonstop. Like it would always have to have cheese on it. It always have to be full, available every minute. And then I'd have to have champagne or uh, mimosas available on tap. Like I don't want to ask for it. I want it to be there. (laughs) Topped up. I'd be really easygoing, but I want my champagne. (laughs) And also hamburgers late at night would be kind of important. Truffle fries, maybe. Oh, that boat's going to (laughs) stink. Stinks of burgers and truffle fries. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes you see them waking up the chef at 2am to make nachos. That would be me. (laughs) You're disgusting. All right. We've pulled together a few leadership qualities And then we're going to talk about them and two of our favorite Below Deck cast members exhibit these leadership qualities. Yes? Yes, exactly. So we've got a list of five leadership qualities. Should we just start with one? We'll start with one. (laughs) Um, Which is self-awareness and prioritizing personal development. And so, yeah, we want to unpack in Below Deck where we see these qualities. Yeah. 
I think we should first say we just pulled these off the internet and yeah. these are ones that we liked. Yeah. So these are not like solid <laughs> leadership qualities that you must adhere to. Yeah. These are what, like five pretty popular yeah, these qualities. Are, these are the ones we think you should adhere to. <laughs> yeah. And in the nonprofit sector ones that come up repeatedly. Okay. So yeah, as I said, the first one, self-awareness and prioritizing personal development. Okay. Where do we see this in Below Deck? Where do we see it in Below Deck? <laughs> um, for me, I think I see it the most in Captain Jason. Mm. Captain um, Jason is a fan favorite. Below Deck, Down Under. I think for me, he kind of exhibits it in how he learns about his crew. Yeah. You know, he, I think there was one particular person in his crew that had quite a sad story about his family. And Captain Jason didn't know that. But then he started to kind of uncover that and get to understand him. And we see him kind of reflecting back on that and being like, oh, now I understand where this person is coming from because of what they've been through. And it's that kind of then bringing that new knowledge about someone into how he then leads them, which I think is really key piece of like self-awareness, because for me, it shows that he was able to change mm. and he wasn't quite stuck in like, this is my leadership style, yeah. but he brought a self-awareness that then meant that he could adapt his leadership style style to the needs of someone in his team yeah for me it's really cool and a really good example you know i take that back to the nonprofit sector and i'm like where have i seen that mm. <laughs> i can't think of one so you know bravo captain jason from my perspective i mean a bit rude because i was your manager oh, one sorry point, so. <laughs> yeah let's uh, disclosure wow. <laughs> disclosure <laughs> Wow, 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 wow. Stop it. <laughs> it could be that my memory is really shit. Yeah, okay, well, rude. Uh, whatever. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I actually think that self-awareness is probably the hardest one because the, the bit you were talking about before about leadership styles is what we know is that your leadership style flexes based on the person that you are leading or the team that you're leading and their style. So oftentimes I think people think about it the other way around where they're like, this is my style and they assert their style versus being led by the team culture or the team style and finding ways not to necessarily be the same, but to complement and support it. And that really requires a lot of self-awareness and a lot of looking at yourself and understanding how you exist in a space. And I think there's a real tension with leaders to want to assert their personality onto things. I'm thinking about who's the captain in the most recent one where Captain Lee was sick and there was like a fill-in captain. Was it Captain Mark or Marcus or something like that? Maybe. Marcus. It's Marcus. Okay. I think. Okay, you're sure. I'm pretty confident it's Marcus. Sean. Sean. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Captain Sean. Captain Sean. I think he had a style. Very affable, warm, nice guy. Had this facade of being like hard, straight ass, you know, no nonsense person. But I think he really asserted his style probably a bit too much, which meant that it was alienating members of the team who were very strong, like Eddie, mm. who came on as an acting engineer or something like that. I don't remember what the roles are. Acting first mate, working first mate. I don't know. <laughs> boat, boat terminology. And I think that that can be a little bit tricky. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And just as you say, the ability to flex is what people need. I mean, yeah, it's such a skill because, you know, imagine if you have a team of 10 and they all have very kind of differing needs. And I think, you know, for me, a self-reflection is I'm often the person that, you know, wants to be left alone to do it, but I want to be able to drop in and have advice when I need it. 
and feedback when I need it. And I often feel like that balance for me has often been missed and I'm not, I actually not with you. You have to say that now. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of like, then when somebody wants independence and freedom, it's too much is often given. And then I feel like I'm not attached to anything. So all of those different things that manifest as you're trying to flex with people's different styles and needs. Yeah. Yeah, really hard. And I don't think anybody ever gets it right. Like it's something to aspire to and it's something to be aware of and to be attuned to. But I don't think you get it right all the time because as you were rightly pointing out, if you've got a team of 10 and they've got different needs, different styles, different communication styles, you can manage them independently and manage them as individuals. But when you're talking about leading and leading a team, it's different. And and those two things I think often get conflated as, as the same. I think the leadership piece, different people want to be led in different ways, just as much as people want to be managed in different ways and their work managed in different ways. So when you're talking about like a big group and being a leader of a group of people, it's much harder because you're trying to find the synergies between everyone's different style, including your own preferences, and then having to kind of amalgamate that into one big leadership approach. And I just don't think you get it right all the time. Yeah. I don't even know if you get it right most of the time. But that self-awareness piece is about recognizing when you are and aren't getting it right and valuing communication. That means that people can raise when you aren't getting it right and feel comfortable to say, yeah, I need to be led differently. Definitely. Let's talk about the second part of that, which is like prioritizing personal development. Mm. Because I think in the below deck context, that's quite hard because, you know, you're on like a six week, maybe fast kind of turnaround. And there's this expectation that you just need to do it, get on with it. In some episodes we've seen, it's like, you know, as you move through the episodes, the leaders of the group say, we don't have time for you to keep learning. I need you to be on it. I need you to have the laundry room perfect by now. And it's episode. So three or they're five days in, whatever. So I think maybe in the context of low deck, that's quite hard to see. Yeah. If I have to do your job, what do I need you for? (laughs) That made me jump so hard, by the way. (laughs) I heard this like really (laughs) dense music and was like, what's happening? (laughs) Um, Good old Captain Lee with a bit of advice there. And I think one thing I'd just like to raise in this area is the chefs as leaders and their perhaps lack of self-awareness and giving space to their own personal development. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think for the chefs, it's hard to be leaders because they don't have anyone to lead. (laughs) Yeah, true. In terms of their ability to manage their own feelings, that's a bit challenging. And it's hard because how do you dissociate a profession that is very famous, notorious for having big, complicated personalities How do you balance that with the things that you are looking for, wanting to develop oneself? You know, the trope of like the arrogant chef is one because we see that a lot. But I do think that for some of the chefs, you see a sort of passion in them where they want to grow and they want to expand. It's the other way that I think is really tricky is that part of our development is about how we grow in the big sense So when we're thinking about like new skills and new traits and attributes that we want to have, but it's also a skill 
in the perception of a retraction in that in some ways. And what I mean by that is that some of the chefs are like, yeah, we want to go for this like crazy wild thing and we want to make this really complex dinner. But then they really struggle when someone's like, I just want a bowl of mac and cheese. Yeah. Basic. Don't. Yeah. That's all I want. They really struggle with that. Whereas... You can interpret that as that's also a skill. That's also an area to grow. Not everything can be big and grand. And if what you're doing is catering to a person's taste, then being able to do an eight course tasting menu. Sure, that's great. And if that's what you feel you want to do and where you want to grow, that's a really great thing to aspire to. But when you're working in a hospitality sector, when you're working towards somebody else's unique needs, being able to make basic plate of nachos because that's what they want and that's what they need, I think is an important quality around the self-development piece. You know, it's not the ways in which you feel you want to develop, but it's also the things that people need from you in order to feel that you're meeting their expectations. Yeah. I'm really hungry now. I can't get mac and cheese off my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yes, I'll have a mac and cheese. (laughs) Send me a five-star Michelin chef to make that for me, please. I'm actually starving. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really, really good point. And thank you. What we think, oh, we'll validate your point. And it is, you know, late night nachos, a cheeseburger at 1am, often what the guests are in need of. But also that... Um, That's your vibe, I think. My vibe. Okay, mine. <laughs> Although I have seen people going into the kitchen for nachos at 1am. <laughs> but I think we'll say like the complexity of the people that you're leading and that in two spaces, they can want an eight course tasting menu and a mac and cheese, you know, and maybe that's also reflected in how you manage people in whatever team. At one point, they might want to be left alone and independent, you know, be able to manage the complexity. But in another task, they might want you to help them a bit more. And, you know, so actually people might fluctuate within what their preferred style of being led is or being managed is. You mean human beings are complex social creatures? Whoa. <laughs> I mean, how, why would anyone become a leader, really? In 2022, it's too much, too much. Well, the thing is, is that this is going back to some of the things that previous guests have said. And it's around the whole person. As mm. a leader, you're leading whole people. Mm. It can be task by task, because I'm sort of like that. Depending on the task I'm doing, I may need more support or more encouragement or instruction than some something else. It can be task by task, but it can also be day by day. Yeah. If I've had a really shitty night the night before, having a hard time and struggling the next day, then maybe a task that before I could do independently requires just a bit more support. And that's a lesson that I think I continue to learn about in the ways that I lead and manage people. Because I didn't really always take a whole person perspective. And you were fucking fine yesterday. What the fuck's wrong with you now? Like, just go and do that thing. And it's because probably I can compartmentalize to a degree that may be considered sociopathy. (laughs) (laughs) But, But that's not everybody. And it's really important to recognize that people are coming as their whole selves. And so that interpersonal dynamic is kind of an important one to also have is that maybe I would say that instead of just a kind of focus on self-awareness, it's just a kind of like interpersonal awareness about how you are in the space and how other people are in the space and how you all interact together. Yeah, yeah. Which is sort of related to one of the things we've also got on the list. I think it's just a really hard one because, you know, by the same token, you also bring that same thing to your day-to-day life, right? Or one does. So as a leader, we are also leading with our whole selves. And if we've had shitty days, then 
a reciprocation of sympathy is kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. And within that is, you know, the expectations you place on people to deliver and what and when and by, you know, and so on. As you rightly say, you know, people have families, other things going on in their lives that mean maybe one day they're just not as productive as they were the day before. And there has to be an open line of communication there where it's like, look, I'm really sorry, I'm just not feeling there today and and not holding people to the expectations of what you think is productive or effective every day of the week. But it's a hard thing to do because I think when we look at leaders, particularly in the not-for-profit space, where we're just like professional advocates and professional activists, Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy for us to look at leadership and be really critical of them all the time. I mean, I do it constantly. My biggest judgments and criticisms are generally reserved for people who are in leadership positions. But I also think there needs to be a kind of space and gentleness, recognizing that they're also just people. And yes, we can have higher expectations of them because the implication of them being in those roles is that they can lead, they can manage. They're going to make sound, informed, strategic decisions about where to take ideas and where to take organizations. But there's also a bit of like recognition that they're human beings and fallible and sometimes their fallibility or sometimes the ways in which they are not perfect people, you know, you can give a bit of sympathy for. And I think in other times you can't. Yeah, definitely. And actually, that makes me think that across these five qualities we have here, empathy is not on this list. Curious as to where empathy might fit into this. Focusing on developing others as part of that quality. Yeah. I think we see that quite a lot in some of the captains on Below Deck, Captain Jason again, Captain Sandy, and sometimes Captain Lee. And maybe the biggest example for me is like, you know, when they let them drive the ship or park the ship, because that as a perhaps responsibility in a role is, you know, a very much a captain task. Yes. And it comes with great risk. You know, we've seen everyone get a bit scared that the boat's going to crash onto the wall or whatever. Yeah. Then we see Captain Sandy and others as they get to know the team, yeah. let them have a go at doing that and learning how to do it. So for me, that's quite a good example of developing others. Captain Sandy's very good at that. Yeah, agreed. And another example I'd like to mention is... One thing that Below Deck has allowed us to see is the role of Eddie grow as someone who went from being a deckhand right at the beginning, someone who works on the deck, kind of a lower position, right through to being a first officer and learning how to actually captain a boat. And that relationship between Captain Lee and Eddie has evolved as this capacity building relationship. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. And there's a lot to learn from that in terms of the trust that I think that's been built there yeah. and how much, you know, a leader or a manager needs to focus on taking somebody in and, and really showing them what it is they're doing, you know, yeah. and giving them insight into, you know, this is my role. This is my job. Do you want to see how I'm doing it and comment or look or, you know, and in the nonprofit sector, I mean, how do we see that? It's not often that I've had a manager say, come on, look what I'm doing. <laughs> Maybe because it's just Excel sheets or it's meetings, you know, it's not quite the same kind of technical know-how maybe. I don't know, maybe a wash advisor, wash being, sorry, water and sanitation and hygiene. Yeah, the mentorship piece, I think, is really, really important. 
as one way to develop people. But I think there's also just a recognition of the ways people want to grow and having mm. those conversations. And what I often find in our space is that you don't have that conversation until you come to your like annual review for most people. And yeah. that's uh, like, OK, well, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Where do you see yourself? And you'd only assess that once a year, which I think is pretty problematic. I think it's really important that you're keeping track and checking in on people and finding different ways to support them in their growth, in their development. I have always said that, you know, for me, what I want to see is people leave me. Sad times. No, it's a good thing. <laughs> no, you want people to grow and you want people to leave and you want people to exceed where you are. It's, you know, without infantilizing people, I think good leadership is about thinking about, you know, the people that you have as like your children. Like you want them to surpass everything that you did. And so the goal is to bring them up and support them and encourage them and give them enough support and independence so that they can exceed what you've done or go places that you haven't gone yet. And I don't think we really take that approach. I think that we're sort of like, okay, well, where do you want to be? But we don't really, we put a lot of the onus on the individual to find out how to get there and find out how they're going to do it themselves. Yeah. As opposed to figuring out how we as leaders can lay the foundation and make that path clearer, easier. I think that pathway is not always obvious. And also that pathway is sometimes just not really an option if you're in quite a technical niche field in your organization and maybe your managers or your two people above you have been there for many years and don't appear to be moving on in any point. Yeah. You know, so... There's sometimes that kind of barrier there. And how much reflection does it take if you're a leader or manager to say, well, do you want my job? Especially in a lot of cases, charities or nonprofits are, are small or the teams aren't massive. So your growth kind of trajectory is really limited by who's in the leadership and senior management team. And so to a large extent, you're always looking horizontally yeah. in case, you know, that organization or that one does have that position higher up coming free. Yeah, I think it really works best when everyone's growth minded, directionally minded and yeah. trying to move and progress. If you've got leaders of teams or organizations who are you know, on permanent contracts and very happy to just like sit, coast, chill where they're at, then yeah, it makes it much harder to figure out where you want to go, or what you want to do. One of the things that I do is I ask people, what's the next job you want to have? What does it look like? And then I ask them to find a job description for that role that they like. And then we look at the competencies and the skills that are part of that role that they want to have. And then we start building their kind of professional development around that. And sometimes it's my job, which is fine. I mean, I'm a big believer in succession planning. I'm a big believer in, you know, moving myself forward. So I don't mind it when people put my job there. I think that's a good thing. And it keeps me on my game. It keeps them wanting to push and be, you know, motivates people on teams. But it also means that you can create really strong opportunities to delegate because I've been on teams where people don't want my job. So it's very hard to delegate from a learning perspective. You can delegate from like a kind of time management and as a manager of teams perspective, but in terms of delegating so that they can grow and learn more, which is kind of what you're describing around Eddie and Captain Lee, 
it's harder to do that if they don't want your job or yeah. like parts of your job aren't interesting to them. hundred percent. And I think the nonprofit Below Deck comparative, the, the growth pathway for Below Deck is, is pretty obvious. We see it in the, the stews that go from like third stew, second stew to chief stew. Yeah. And we often see them grow and then... In and there are more opportunities because you can go on to different boats and... Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, we haven't yet seen someone transition to captain, but we may soon. <laughs> I think it's going to be Eddie. I think Eddie is going to be the first one. That's really exciting. Because we've seen a similar a similar pathway is happening with Malia. Oh, so the reason right. why she's not in this the most recent episode of Below Deck with Captain Sandy is because she's first officer, I think, on another boat. Oh, that's cool. Yes, you're right. Because she went from deckhand yeah. all the way up yeah. yeah yeah that's really good captain sandy's another good example of that yeah i think that she's probably a bit better at that than some of the other captains are i don't see the other captains really like letting the reins go or yeah. letting the what is it called steering wheel a steering wheel um <laughs> i don't know where you're going <laughs> with the thing you actually oh, drive the boat with yeah the, the steering wheel it's a wheel though it is a wheel yeah is it just called the wheel i guess because it's the wheelhouse that they're yeah in, it? yeah it is a wheelhouse okay. yeah maybe it's just the wheel there's a better term that. for this yeah, yeah okay and i haven't seen a lot of them do it in the same way that captain sandy does so she's like okay it's your turn i want to reward you with this and it's very deliberate yeah Whereas I've really only seen Captain Lee do it once with Eddie, but Eddie had by that point been, you know, he's a captain on a not the same size boat, but a yeah. smaller vessel has been doing that for a long time. They've known each other for a long time. It just based on the editing, it looks <laughs> as though it took a really long time to get to a place where he was able to take, you know, uh, however many millions of dollar yacht off the dock for yeah example, that's true which is probably fairly reasonable <laughs> yeah i mean it, it is if you're the owner of that boat <laughs> yeah but captain sandy hasn't done it with you know they're usually in open water and it's i don't i've never i've not seen her dock or undock with somebody else yeah not yet not yet although yeah. i've seen a preview on this one it looks like she scratches up the boat yeah, I've seen that too. Oh no, new episode. <laughs> yeah, so developing others, I think, is a really important skill and a really important conversation to have about where you want to go. And that's exactly what you're describing, that trust piece of like knowing your teams really well. Yeah, can I add something else here? No. I'm wondering if... I said no. Oh, well, tough. I'm wondering if, because we often see in Below Deck, the third stew feeling a bit isolated or a bit alienated. And I wonder if that's due to a lack of mentoring or, or training or supporting. You know, we often see maybe the laundry is a mess or something's going wrong. They're not quite doing their job properly. And some chief stews or second stews do give them time to try and get there. But then more often than not, they don't quite get there and they get fired or they leave. And I'm just wondering if there's there's a better kind of mentorship approach there or something mm. that is stopping the third stew feeling like they're kind of in it. And it's not always the case, yeah. but we've seen it a couple of times. Yeah. I think because it's a role that's like traditionally you're doing not the glamorous stuff. Yeah. And I think that it's seen as a role like this is why I think is problematic is because it's seen as like a non-technical role if mm. we were to use our language, because you don't have to know how to do anything. You don't have to know how to make coffees or cocktails or you don't have to know anything about silver service or you, you don't have to know any of those skills. All you have to do is know how to make beds, make beds and clean toilets. So therefore, those roles are less valued. 
because the skills associated with them are minimal. And I think that that's a really toxic way to think about it because every member of your team should be valued, even if their roles don't necessarily require the same level of technical skill. And I would argue that everybody's knowledge, you know, the same thing that we talk about of like technical knowledge and tacit knowledge knowledge that is gained through experience, people can bring those into their roles if they're allowed to. And if you Mm. give them space and if you make those things important. So just because I'm, you know, cleaning toilets and doing the laundry doesn't mean that my life's experience is meaningless and that I can't contribute anything. But if we see, you know, the, oh, you're just a third stew or, you know, you don't have any input here, you're a third stew, that kind of toxic bullying language, which I've heard a lot of on below deck in all the geographies is really problematic because it doesn't recognize the fact that people come with their whole selves and come as it's it's that whole self again that you've got things to contribute even if you know some of the things that you're doing in the context of a boat is not viewed as as valuable it should be viewed as valuable and i wonder if there's what's the third stew equivalent in the nonprofit sector it's like an, if you're probably, an intern probably an intern <laughs> Yeah, it's probably a whole new episode. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's probably the equivalent because you're doing something to get onto the ladder. But the value of the third stew and the value of the intern, you don't see until they stop doing it. Yeah, and I'm sure many people (laughs) listening would would echo a lot of roles that are perhaps less valued and seen as a bit more throw away, if you like. You never know until someone stops doing it. Yeah. Think about the drivers in any of the countries that you and I have lived and worked in. If, you know, that driver doesn't show up to pick you up from the airport in Damascus. Yeah, for sure. We we don't really fully realize the value of these roles until we don't have them anymore. And that probably is a recognition of how important they actually are and that they should be valued as such. You don't have to have 15 years of it. You know, the people that I dislike the most in this space are the ones who rock up like, I've got 30 years experience. And that just means you're more entrenched in your worldviews and that you probably won't change and that you're part of the problem of why we're where we are in the sector in the first place. Yeah. There we have it. Not generically. So, I'm sure there are some people who've been doing this for a really long well, time who are reasonable people. Because at some point, I'm going to be the person who's been doing this for 30 years. That's what I was just thinking. I, I was like, like to hope that. <laughs> but I would like to hope. I'm very self-aware. So I was just thinking that we're both going to be those people. Which then I have a second thought, which was at the top of my CV. I'm just going to have a line that says... I am part of the problem <laughs> or yeah, I, I have been doing harm. <laughs> yeah. Here's my self-awareness at the top line of my yeah. CV. Another leadership quality is about strategic thinking and innovation. Okay. Harder to see this one on the boats, although I have yeah. a couple of ideas. I was just thinking this. I was thinking about the innovation piece because on below deck, lots of things do go wrong. Like, mm-hmm. you know, especially when they're going for picnics for some weird reason on the beach. But I think someone who comes to mind as being very, very good at innovating and to some extent problem solving with it is Chef Rachel. Chef Rachel, damn talented. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think there was a time when a hog of roast got too burnt or something on the beach and then she managed to find a way or... She flipped it over, you mean? Yeah, I thought, I thought it was more than that. Um, <laughs> she just flipped it over. Oh. <laughs> I'm giving more credit. Anyway, 
And to some extent, chefs have to innovate, especially when things don't quite go right. And Chef Rage, at least in the more recent episode or season, seems to have a bit more kind of stability in that. Yeah. Well, I think there's a distinction here for me between like innovating and problem solving and being more resilient and being a person who like is going to figure it out. I think that she's got that better than others. Mm. More recently. Previous seasons, <laughs> things have been a bit chaotic For with sure. Chef Rachel. Though her food has always been on point. Oh, I want to eat it right now. Yeah, I think the ability to bounce back and that kind of emotional resilience piece is really, really important. Because a lot of times when shit goes wrong with the chefs and somebody's like, this tasted like it had a bit too much salt in it, they all fucking crumble. I'm like, you eat this. what a privileged position that if somebody gives you the slightest bit of criticism... You can completely collapse in on yourself like a dying star. It's just, it's epic. And in some of the episodes we've watched together, I've just had full on, full blown rants about the like white, typically white male privilege associated with being able to just crumble. They wouldn't last a day in my life (laughs) if that's how they respond to somebody giving the slightest bit of criticism on something that is very easily fixable. Mm. You just couldn't. couldn't. You could not hold the weight of expectation on queer black women in the workplace. You just couldn't. (laughs) I know it. So, yeah, I think in terms of like innovation, so thinking about ways that they can do things differently, if we're thinking about it potentially as like new ways to solve old problems, I think some of the things that I see are probably when they bring new toys on. Oh, like the slide. Yeah. Oh my God, that slide has caused more hassle. The slide is chaos. It's yeah. chaos. You know, and from my perspective, a slide isn't particularly innovative, but in terms of taking the guest experience up a notch, doing something slightly different, I think it's in the toys because they've got the sea bobs, which are the underwater ones. Oh yeah, that's right. Maybe in the toys, but also in the, the evening events. Yeah. Like, you know, where it's white night or... White night. Yeah. <laughs> It's not a KKK thing. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> like when they dress in like... White robes yeah. with hoods on their heads. No. Mm. They have like... White parties. Yeah. There you go. White parties. Nice. <laughs> and 70s, Yeah, 90s. they're cranking up the entertainment, I suppose. Yeah, and some yeah. people then like, I think in the most recent series, I've forgotten his name, one of the guys like dresses up really much and does like entertaining shows. And yeah. As you say, take Culver. to the next level, that's it, Culver. So yeah, as you say, it's it's a bit harder to see kind of innovation and new ways of doing things. Yeah. And I think maybe in some ways what we're talking about can fold itself into like the strategy piece because, you know, they're doing all of these things to remain competitive in their space, right? So they want to be doing things smarter, faster, better. And when it's really funny because like... Captain Sandy's quite good at that because she's just like, when we get there, I want everything out. All the toys are out. I want everything there on show because I don't want guests looking at other boats and being concerned that they're not getting the best yeah. service that they could. So I think that's really the best experience thinking. they could. Yeah. yeah. Who's the one who just started bringing people to the boat? Where Captain it's already- Lee. Captain Lee. Latest, exactly. Yeah. That. I had had exactly that thought. As Captain Sandy That's did. That's an innovation. He started doing that. Yeah. yeah. Or was it? No, it was Captain Lee. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he was like, I know people are going to be annoyed about this. but And I think that's a really great way to do it. So instead of like picking people up, off the dock and then bringing them to a place and then unloading everything. They go to that first place, that first anchorage. They 
do all the toys. Everything is out on show. And then they bring the people on a boat, a smaller boat to that big boat. And everything's there. And that for me is like, that's what I would expect yeah. when I find a way to afford this. <laughs> Sign up on patreon.com forward slash JRNY podcast. <laughs> and so I think probably comparatively in the nonprofit sector, there's a lot more innovation and strategic thinking naturally because there's such a diversity of programming and themes and things that we do in the sector. And we've got so many more complicated problems that need different types of solutions. Yeah, exactly. It's all people's influencing behavior change, things like that. It's not a straightforward putting out a toy in the water. (laughs) You know, it's very much a... If only it were as easy as putting gas in a jet ski. (laughs) (laughs) If only. So I think comparatively very, very different. What else is on your list? So then we've got ethical and civic minded or socially minded if you want to bring those two things together so a concern for the conditions and affairs of others yeah which we've kind of touched on a little bit throughout all of these what was the thing that you were saying before where you were asking about you said something's missing the emotional oh empathy empathy yeah yeah i Um, think that's probably in there i think being socially minded requires a degree of empathy yeah And I think the ethical piece is quite interesting because for me, there's a kind of underlying. So these are all like leadership qualities. But then I think there's like a subset of virtues that are in there that I think are really important or ways of being. Well, these are all kind of ways of being. But that integrity, ethics, socially minded, all of those things, I, I think there's probably like a subset of Mm. what we might consider like a virtuous behavior. I wonder if all these virtues are packed into Captain Lee's phrase of don't embarrass the boat. (laughs) Don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass the boat. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, kind of. I think that there's probably something to that in there. Mm. But but that's also kind of like a perception thing, isn't it? In terms of how you you can embarrass the boat. Yeah. Or in what way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the extent to which people are accepting of embarrassment and at what level. Yeah. Whereas I think that we can all generally agree a baseline of integrity. Yeah, yeah. You know, doing what you say. And I think, gosh, below deck, where I've seen people cross that line of integrity is, is their relationship with guests. Was it in one, I think it might have been Mediterranean... Hannah, the chief stew, kissed or... Allegedly kissed. Allegedly Allegedly kissed. Allegedly kissed, sorry, and was texting a guest. You know, and I think that that's the line. Well, Culver made out with a former guest. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but but I think... Don't make it harder on her because she's a woman, Lauren. Uh, no, I just... <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are multiple examples of crossing the lines with guests. I think Kelly at some point had something Kelly with a guest. With guest. And there was somebody else. There's always been that kind of like... Tension. There was that one guy. Remember, they had the guests on and they were doing like a photo shoot for... A restaurant or something that was the equivalent of like Hooters and all of them came very very early on a very early season and he ended up like making out with one and writing poems and he was like freaking out because he was like I just want them to have like the best experience and I'm in charge of their experience and all this and it was all a bit cringy and weird yeah vaguely remember that so anyway i feel like that is probably a lot of that line below deck for you know integrity embarrassment but Um, how is that boat in and of itself an environment that kind of breeds the kind of knock-on effects of what we may not consider the most ethical behavior right because like you know hannah was talking about how as chief stew she's had to get you know sex workers on boats for russian oligarchs oh did she say that yeah 
Oh. I don't know if she necessarily said that they were I missed Russian. That episode. But actually, I think she did say they were Russian. <laughs> Very early on. No, I missed the episode where there was Russian oligarchs. Oh, no, no, no. In her career, not yeah, on I the know, show. Yeah, I know. I'm joking. Okay. Oh. <laughs> it just wasn't funny, the jokes. Sure. So. so, yeah, I think you made me lose my train of thought. <laughs> I know. The joke was just so funny. <laughs> Shut up. So I think if it's the kind of environment where you've got like the uber rich feeling entitled to do whatever thing they want to do in international waters, then I wonder to what extent that kind of knocks on to people. And if, you know, there's a bit of moral particularism based on the context that actually your values flex depending on the guests on the boat who influence the culture of the boat. Yeah, that's a really good point. From the perspective of the show, there's probably a line there. But outside of the show, as Hannah has spoken to, yeah. we wouldn't know. Yeah. You know, remember that guy who is he was on the jet skis in the tuxedo and he wanted to have the foam party on the boat and all the foam was going off and all kinds of crazy places. I can't remember his name. Remember, he grabbed one of the chief stews and was like being very... Oh, vaguely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's another line, isn't yeah. it? When guests actually start touching and getting a bit... You mean sexually assaulting people. Sexually assaulting yeah, let's just people. call it what it is. And then there was another one where I can't remember. It was Kate. Mm. And this, I remember seeing it in the reunion because one of the guests grabbed the third stew's ass <laughs> and it made her feel really uncomfortable. And also that same guest and her husband pinned that same third stew into their room and was like trying to get her to oh, take her yes. clothes off. Do you remember? And yes. there was like this whole thing about what Kate did, what Captain Lee did and like yeah. how that all went down. Um, so I think that's one thing, one of like places where people feel they are somewhat entitled to sexually assault people. You're yeah. not. Yeah. Shame on you. 100%. But also if that kind of then influences what your ethical and moral standard is. Mm. But in terms of the leadership, that should never change. Mm. Certainly. It's who's in charge, who leads the culture. And that's what I like about Captain Lee. Because he kicks people off of boats and he's like, this charter's done. Yeah, exactly. Do you remember that time when a guest was really drunk and they actually went in the water? Yeah. He brought them in and was like, look, you know, this is crossing a line. If yeah. this happens again, like you're off the boat. There was a really hard line for he him. He did it with the same guy with the tuxedo because he oh, was on the boat right. without a life vest on. Yeah. Or he was on the jet ski without a life vest on. Yeah. But then in the safety. most recent. Yeah. Safety. Yeah. is Captain Lee's hard line. And in the most recent one where there was like cocaine on the boat and he ended the charter. Oh, I don't know that one. Spoiler alert. (laughs) But I think there's I think there's kind of like a combination of things is like, where does their integrity, where do the ethics flex Mm. if your license isn't in jeopardy? Yeah. Because you can't have drugs on board because of this. There's a whole thing around like maritime law which applies to the boat itself. It's why you shouldn't be drinking on charter because if there's an emergency, you can't actually help the guests off the boat. You're a liability to everyone, really. So it's stuff like that. But I wonder if it wasn't illegal. Like, how far do your ethics extend? Yeah, who knows? We should get on a yacht and see how far we could push the limits. Yeah, let's get Captain Lee, Captain Sandy and Captain Jason together. And a-, a focus group? <laughs> yeah, if I was going to say focus group, then I was like, no, stop it. <laughs> Yeah, really interesting. Again, really different in the nonprofit sector, right? I say really different. We claim to hold ethical lines, but I think across some of our episodes, we've seen how those flex, particularly, particularly, I was going to say, particularly around like 
how we how we tend to like go into countries and do humanitarian work and then leave and so forth like the whole model itself carries an ethical dilemma i don't know if i would consider that necessarily like in and of itself an ethical dilemma but rather one of principles which are different. But I do think that in this sector, there is a presumption of ethical behavior, which is not deserved. Yeah. But alongside a presumption of doing good. Yes. Same, same. Yeah. To a certain extent. I think you can do good work unethically is why I say to a certain extent. Mm. And I think you can do bad work ethically. Interesting. So I don't see them as necessarily connected to each other. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I would argue that a lot of direct action activism to a certain extent may or may not be very ethical, but it's still good work and important work. Yeah. If we assume that ethics are social constructions. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like it needs a whole other episode. Just a thought. <laughs> Don't engage me in a conversation about ethics. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what's last on your list? So finally is effective cross-cultural communication. I have a lot to say about this, but why don't you go first? For me, in terms of below deck, it's as a leadership quality, less obvious because the crews, I mean, I'm thinking about the crew specifically, have tended to be from the same places. So I'm curious about the extent to which they even consider that they're applying cross-cultural communication as a quality. And I think maybe more recent examples, I can't remember her name and I can't remember if it was with Captain Lee or Captain Jason, the racism incident. Raina. Oh, Raina. Yeah, Captain Lee and Eddie. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know if that comes under cross-cultural communication as like a whole quality, but as a kind of part of how they dealt with that situation. Uh, was not great. I think it's how you define culture. Yeah, because right. you can be from the same place and have completely different cultures. I think culture is something that's defined within the community in which you exist in. And that community might be in context of a bigger one. You can live in the UK be of non-English descent, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of British culture applies to you or that you identify with it. It might be more you have a cultural identity that's closer to like the community that you live in or something. But I think it depends on like how you define it, because I would say that actually a lot of the crew come from different places themselves. So geographically global, but also within the States, for example, there are very few people who come from the same state. So I think they are quite diverse. I don't know, though, because they come from like Florida quite often. and But not they're not from Florida. They're just working in the yachting industry in Florida. But some people come from different places. They just base themselves in Florida. So, for example, Ben lives in Fort Lauderdale, but he's very clearly British. But he lives there because there's lots of boats there. Yeah, I wasn't thinking of Ben. Oh. But then I also think the reason that they get on and they have a good time and they kind of lean into humor and other things is because cultures from New Zealand or Britain or South Africa or wherever are fairly similar. Are they? Well, maybe not South Africa, <laughs> but I'm thinking about the context, I suppose, of some areas in South Africa. I think you might be offending some people by saying that those cultures are the same. <laughs> okay. I guess I mean comparatively in terms of like they speak the same language and that I think is a part of cultural communication. I think that is part of communication. But when you think about cross-cultural communication, what mm. do you think that means? 
I guess an ability to understand and an awareness that other people haven't been brought up the same way as you and that you're able to kind of communicate with consideration for that they've been brought up and they come from different backgrounds. But I think for me that what I guess what I'm getting at is like the similarity and the ability for them to get on and communicate across those different cultures is is language is a huge part of that. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I agree with that because, you know, if you were to extrapolate from what you've just said, then people who speak the same language would have a harder time getting on with people who don't speak the same language. Whereas there are a lot of white supremacists who I don't get along with who also speak English. I mean, I think it's a part of it. It's not the whole of it. And also, I guess the backgrounds or perhaps wealth and how they got into that industry. There's a certain kind of pathway and ability that enabled them to get into that industry, which I think kind of brings them together and maybe enables them to communicate better. Mm. And I'm talking about the crew. Yeah. I think the underlying thing I would say is that I don't actually think they get along very well with each other, which is part of why we enjoy watching the show, right? With Below Deck Down Under. I hate that one because they just get along really well and everything Mm. seems relatively, you know, low level interpersonal fires that get sorted out fairly reasonably. Mm. With the other ones, I think there's quite a lot of tension, which is why I find them more entertaining. (laughs) But where is the line there in terms of cross-cultural communication and just like clashing personalities and ways of working and like what you see on the boat versus what you see when they all go out for dinner and a drink? I feel like is a bit different. And yeah, like things crop up when they're having a drink and dinner and they're out and they have arguments, maybe things flare up, but less so. I guess I would say that in the example of Raina and Eddie, right, they're both from English speaking places. Mm. They're both American, but there's a huge cultural dynamic and a huge cultural conversation that they're not able to see, in particular that Eddie's not able to see because they come from different cultures. So I'm just hesitant to put that much weight on language Mm. when actually I think that culture is probably a bit more complicated in terms of cultures will have different values. If you come from like my family is from the Philippines, they immigrated to the States. I'm American, but growing up in that community it's a very collectivist community so it's you know we are Mm. all for each other but american identity is generally very individualist where it's like pick yourself up by your bootstraps and whatever i'm still an american but by Mm. virtue of my cultural association with being filipino that's more what i identify with because that's the closer group of people and that's the culture that i feel i most closely identify with so I would say that probably culture is built, in my perspective, with what happens on the boats, that culture is built in sort of smaller groups as opposed to just being like, I think, yes, there can be one English speaking one or English language as a primary language one. But I think it's about those closer communities and what you hold valuable and how you develop your value systems that is more what creates the tension and the conflict that I see is because people value different things in different ways and they're not able to effectively communicate with the other. For me, effective cross-cultural communication is what you said before, but knowing how to change and communicate based on an appreciation of where a person comes from, as you've said, but also the things that they value and seeing how that operates in the space. And I think that people can do that in the absence of speaking a common language. I think it's kind of more rooted in an understanding of people and what's important to them and what's important to yourself. Yeah, I think language is a part of like, there's lots more to it. 
And I think the reason I'm saying language is because the whole thing is in English and like mm. everybody tends to come from English speaking countries and there tends not to be a diversity in that sense. But um, there's a ton of conflict on the show, right? Like that's kind of the point that I'm making is the fact that it's in English is almost proving the point that that is not a significant piece because of how much conflict there is actually on the show. But you make a good point about whether it's personality or culture. For me, yeah, I think it's more about personality personalities and ways of working. And I actually, in terms of cross-cultural communication, how I've understood it, I don't see it there really. I don't see people considering in where individuals have come from, their backgrounds. I don't see the leaders, maybe Jason to some extent, Captain Jason, taking time to understand people's backgrounds and where they've come from and so on and how that shapes their work. I don't see that. And so I think that's why I'm leaning more to it being about people's personalities and ways of working and that other parts of people's cultures unify them in a way that when they go out and they do have fun, it's less hectic. But how much of that is just sort of decompressing and needing to get along? I agree with you. I don't really think I see effective cross-cultural communication, but I don't think it has anything to do with culture and cultural differences and interpersonal stuff. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it has to do with the fact that boats are inherently hierarchical. And so there is no need to effectively communicate across cultures because you're saying I'm the captain. What I say goes regardless of whether you agree with it or not. So I think it's less about a kind of cultural dynamic or an interpersonal dynamic, which can probably be the same, but rather that it's hierarchical in nature. If you've got a hierarchical system, you don't have to practice effective communication at all if you're that rigidly hierarchical because what you say goes if you're sitting at the top of it, mm. which I think is hugely problematic. And from like a safety perspective and a challenging power perspective, I think isn't great. And we've seen examples of that where it goes horribly wrong, like for example, in the medical profession where people who are more junior or people who are anesthesiologists feel that they can't challenge specialist surgeons when they see something wrong. And then you have people who die unnecessarily. You have malpractice lawsuits. You have all kinds of crazy stuff. So I think that there is probably something that's actually quite toxic in that approach because it means that your assumption is that the captain, by virtue of being a captain, is an infallible person and not at all capable of error. Definitely. So if you see a boat heading to a dock and it's about to crash... You're going to say, hey, the captain's up there. He or she is probably making a particular maneuver that requires this. Whereas where's the space to challenge that if actually it looks like something's going really haywire if your structure's too rigid? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a good point in terms of on below deck, like we don't see the reversal challenge. And I think we saw um, in below deck down under, like Jamie, who was the lead deckhand, getting quite upset with Captain Jason because he felt decisions made were not supporting him more you know, letting him kind of do his job the way he wanted to and so forth. And I think eventually he might have mentioned it to Captain Jason, but it took a long time. And, you know, that feedback going back up. Yeah. Captain Jason in general has like a style that I think enables that better. But for Captain Lee, I dare not hear someone go and criticize his approach. Captain yeah. Sandy, I think, would be more receptive to it. Perhaps yeah. if it's in a way that's sensitive, but, you know, Captain Lee, I think, sets quite hard boundaries. And I wonder what that conversation would look like. I mean, what you more commonly see when it's happening is what I would probably describe as insubordination, yeah. <laughs> um, which is not what I'm describing, but I'm describing ways in which, you know, we can communicate better 
with each other and hierarchies when you're at the top you don't really have to be good at that yeah. because you just tell people what to do and they have to do it it's a bit scary but I used to have this book on my desk that was called Communicating Cross Cultures and it's a great book recognizing the fact that you know it's based off of stereotypes but it had every country in the world and it would describe things that people like to talk about I used to have it on my desk and people would just come over and flip That's through cute. it yeah and it had the stuff about the UK was really funny because oh don't would, tell me it's about the weather it is absolutely about the weather. <laughs> it's like British people love to talk about the weather. <laughs> and like just shit like that. And everyone was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it had the ways in which people kind of commonly communicate and mm -hmm. styles and approaches is a massive generalization because obviously you can't distill whole histories, as we've said before, whole histories into 10 pages on like every single person and the way that most people will behave as, you know, as culture evolves and as styles evolve. But it's quite a funny book. <laughs> we'll put that in our uh, show notes for anyone who's interested. <laughs> So we've been on a really interesting journey of leadership qualities yep. across below deck and the nonprofit sector. I think any final conclusions? I think there's probably some scope for the captains of below deck primarily to be setting a really strong tone, right? You quite literally captain a ship. And so finding ways to lead people that's really supportive of their own style so that they can also effectively lead or effectively manage their teams is really, really important. I think there's something probably around that cascading supportive environment that's really helpful. I see it most commonly with Captain Jason. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why for me that season is just boring shit because it's all like <laughs> healthy and productive discussions and not taking anybody's side and hearing what everybody has to say and not valuing reality yeah, for. <laughs> valuing everyone's unique perspective like there's you know i die a thousand deaths when i have to watch it or when i had to watch it for for research because they're just really fucking boring because everybody was like coming to each other directly with their problems yeah, and yeah. when things weren't working people were given opportunities and then it was decided that they may not be a good fit for the culture and dynamic of the boat. Yeah. So like, I mean, know, what a great very healthy. <laughs> I agree with all you're saying. And I think I want to go back to some points we made at the beginning. And I'm really glad you mentioned the whole person thing, because yeah. I think as we've been doing these podcast episodes and we've had some amazing guests, that's really been kind of a strong theme that's coming through. If you want to be on a journey to transformation, you got to think of the whole person. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's an important one to come back to. And then also for me, conclusively, what we were saying at the beginning across below deck and the non-profit sector is a person changes day to day a person's need for kinds of leadership and management may also be across the spectrum mm. and so as you said at the beginning the ability to be able to do that is really really hard and, you know, below deck to some extent makes it look a bit perhaps easier than it is because everything's a bit more tangible and unfortunately hierarchical. Yeah, it's an interesting comparative here and I hope our listeners can take away something. <laughs> <laughs> and let's shout out to the service industry in general. It yeah. is incredibly hard. So the um, hospitality sector has been hit very, very hard. Yeah, unfortunately. And now people are just being wild now that they're on holiday if they can get out. Yeah. <laughs> They're the key workers now. Yeah, literally. Okay. Cool. Well, that was fun. Yeah. I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this has been the Journey to Transformation. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.